Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Salentano, our business editor, and Jim Fryer, our managing editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. The second quarterly report is available now, and an annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. In fact, Wednesday, the 10th, we will have an exclusive briefing at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can sign up for that at insidetowers.com intelligence. Our first story this week, uh, the Secure Equipment Act is on its way to the president for his signature. The Senate passed it on Thursday. It would take steps to further crack down on the use of telecom products from companies that are deemed to be a national security threat. Uh, This has to do with rip and replace. Companies on this list include China-based Huawei and ZTE, Uh, which both Congress and the administration took steps to block from the U.S. because of national security and espionage concerns. This bill closes a loophole. Um, The rules that were passed apply only to equipment purchased with federal funding. You could still purchase this equipment if you used private or non-federal dollars. The Secure Equipment Act closes that loophole. And that brings us to uh, another story. The Federal Aviation Administration is ratcheting up its concern about airline safety when 5G deployments begin on the C-band. It's been sounding that alarm for over a year. Um, Network carriers had planned to use the spectrum beginning December 5th, starting in 46th markets. The latest news is that Verizon and AT&T have said due to these safety concerns, they will hold off for a month their 5G use of the the C-band until the FAA and the FCC assess the effect on aviation safety. Um, AT&T and Verizon had agreed to start on December 5th, but they're putting that off now. In a joint statement, the FCC and FAA said they would, quote, continue to coordinate closely to ensure that the United States keeps pace with the rest of the world in deploying next generation communications technologies safely and without undue delay. AT&T said it would continue to work in good faith with the FCC and the FAA to understand the asserted harmful interference concerns. Um, What the aviation industry is saying in particular is its concern that use of the C-band by telecoms is going to interfere with a nearby band. And the Department of Defense has been saying they're concerned it's going to interfere with GPS for weapons. And so this this is going to continue to play out. Um, The delay could be more than a month. We'll have to see. 
And John, that brings us to you. You're going to tell us about a cell site in the Baltimore area. Yeah, thanks, Leslie. This is kind of a, a little engine that could story. Uh, one of the latest 5G sites being deployed in the Baltimore area is in its final stages, and it's located on a tower on Newkirk Street in southeast Baltimore. The site is uh, distinguished not so much by its size, but its unique location. Um, the tower gives both mobile uh, network operators and other wireless service providers a critical vantage point from which to serve one of the busiest corridors on the U.S. East Coast. It's a 192-foot self-supporting tower that is adjacent to the heavily traveled I-95 and I-895 interstate highways just north of the entrance to the Baltimore Harbor and Fort McHenry tunnels. The tower is less than a mile from the Port of Baltimore, one of the most active shipping container ports on the eastern seaboard, and overlooks railway terminals for CSX and uh, Shortline Canton Railroad, uh, several major trucking terminals, and an industrial park to the east. The tower also provides line-of-sight views into Baltimore's Harbor East neighborhoods just over a mile to the west. Michael Farrakis, the tower owner, said, uh, we're a small player in the whole scheme of things, but we're happy to do our part in the 5G nationwide build-out. We just happen to have a tower that offers ideal coverage in this very high traffic area. Um, he didn't identify the carrier, but um, uh, we know it's one of the one of the companies that are building a nationwide 5G uh, network. So uh, an interesting little story and, um, uh, you know, uh, really playing a small company playing its part in the, in the nationwide build out. And that brings us to Outlook for SBA, John, right? Yeah, um, one of our premier tower companies, uh, SBA Communication, reported its third quarter earnings this week. And it, uh, based on the strength of activity of its um, mobile network operator tenants, it raised its outlook for its uh, 2021 performance. Uh, like its uh, other uh, tower co-brethren, it's benefiting from um, uh, a heightened activity on cell site deployments among the, the biggest uh, op uh, carriers in the country. And on the strength of these site amendments and upgrades and actually new leasing activity, uh, SBA site leasing revenues for the quarter grew to $417 million. That's up 9% on a year-to-year -year basis. Well, its international leasing revenues grew nearly 14% to $109 million. Uh, one of the key uh, aspects of this uh, heightened activity is that service revenues, uh, what the companies call site development revenues, where the tower companies are helping the carriers get the sites ready for installation, um, service revenues, uh, SBA reported, were up 40% to $54 million. And it expects that number to continue to increase along with the, uh, the high level of activity. Um, in the quarter, um, all of its, its major U.S. Uh, mobile network operator tenants were very active. Um, Verizon, for instance, commenced its C-band deployments. T-Mobile continued its nationwide 5G coverage. And DISH signed multiple new, le new lease agreements to facilitate its rapid 5G build-out. AT&T, SBA indicated, maintain a steady pace of uh, uh, activity. You know, there's a heavy concentration of, AT of SBA's customers. T-Mobile accounts for 40% of the uh, domestic uh, total, while the four others, uh, uh, including DISH, uh, together accounted for 96% of SBA's 
uh, three quarter, uh, third quarter 21 uh, leasing revenues. Um, it finished the third quarter with um, um, a multi-year, a new multi-year uh, high in backlog of pending leases from DISH and amendment applications from the incumbent MNOs. Uh, site development and service re revenue reached record levels in the quarter as the MNOs fo focused on building out their, their 5G networks, mainly on uh, macro towers. SBC, SBA continues to expect to see uh, elevated domestic leasing activities through the balance of 2021 and into 2022. And on that outlook, it raised its, its full year uh, guidance to uh, $2.1 for site leasing revenues, that's up 7%, and $200 million in services revenues, that's up uh, 55%. So a lot of positives uh, among the tower companies these days, uh, they're, they're enjoying a, a uh, the full benefits of the uh, high level of activity of their carrier customers, uh, Leslie. Thank you, John. Jim, that brings us to the Big Apple. Big Apple, yes. We always like to uh, have stories about uh, counties or cities uh, issuing RFPs because we like to deliver that news to you, our readers. So hopefully you can act on it if, if that is uh, you know, what is uh, your, your operational plan. And uh, yeah, no less than uh, New York City itself uh, has issued an RFP for $157 million in capital investment to move to the next phase of the internet master plan, they call it, for universal broadband. This request, according to the, represents a quote, first in the nation approach to closing the digital divide. I don't know if they're actually the first to do that, but Hey, they're the big apple and they can say what they want, I guess. Uh, Mayor de Blasio, whether you're a fan of his or not, said uh, broadband is not a luxury. It is a necessity. We are closing the digital divide and bringing our city into the 21st century by reaching communities in most need. Uh, nearly one third of New York City households do lack fixed broadband and 18%, which accounts for 1.5 million people, don't have residential or mobile connections. So they're obviously the city is working to bring affordable connectivity to uh, most of the New York City Housing Authority developments and plans to expand into uh, neighborhoods citywide. The uh, RFP will serve 600,000 New Yorkers, including 200,000 public housing residents, and uh, will focus on areas prioritized by the task force on racial inclusion and equity. Uh, the, they plan to deploy these public Wi-Fi uh, systems in four different areas, streets, parks, libraries, and subway stations. The mayor also announced that the city would accelerate 5G deployment by doubling the number of city street poles available for mobile carriers to 7,500, mainly in underserved areas uh, to drive equitable rollout for, uh, for their plan. So the uh, they reported that the polls could be reserved via a new online portal. Approximately 1,500 polls will be released each quarter over the next 15 months, with the first phase starting this month. Thank you, Jim. John, that brings us to a story you're going to tell us about T-Mobile. Ah, uh, yes. T-Mobile. They're just rocking and rolling and uh, having a lot of fun uh, competing with uh, with AT&T and Verizon, but they really have 
um, uh, a challenge on their hands. Uh, they acknowledged that uh, in their third quarter earnings call that they have uh, more work to do to complete the Sprint merger and to continue expanding their network-wide uh, 5G coverage. Uh, still, their management is confident that uh, they're going to deliver on the network performance and uh, meet their financial goals uh, in the process. Um, so for the third quarter, they reported total service revenues of $14.7 billion. That's up 4% on a year-over-year basis. Uh, as well, in the quarter, they added 1.3 million total net customers, bringing their total postpaid and prepaid customer connections to $106.9 million at the end of the quarter. That figure lags Verizon's 122 million connections, but leads AT&T's 99 million retail connections. Um, the, the company continued to make progress on the Sprint integration activities, um, ending the quarter with about 90% of the Sprint customer traffic now on the T-Mobile network and close to 53% of the Sprint customers fully transitioned to T-Mobile. Um, at the end of the quarter, uh, the combined T-Mobile Sprint network consisted of approximately 105,000 micro macro sites and about 39,000 small cells and distributed antenna systems. At this point, T-Mobile's challenge is, rash, is rationalizing this, uh, the merging of this network. This means T-Mobile will be decommissioning redundant or aged sprint sites. Some sprint sites are co-located with T-Mobile sites. These are referred to as overlap sites, and others are on different towers, but that are close to a T-Mobile installation. These are referred to as proximity sites. This rationalization process will take several years and has started slower than the tower companies were expecting. Um, most tower companies think it's a timing issue with T-Mobile as the company assesses and prioritizes the decommissioning process. Uh, certainly, the tower companies in their recent earning calls have all indicated that they expect Sprint churn to negatively impact on their site leasing revenues beginning in the fourth quarter of uh, 2021 and extending over the next five years. Uh, by Sprint churn, we mean the expiration of existing leases, many of which extend out to 2025. The timing and negative dollar amount impacts will vary according to the number of Sprint leases that each tower company holds. On the plus side, T-Mobile gains investment synergies as it rationalizes its network infrastructure. And uh, actually, uh, in updating its synergy, its synergy benefits, indicated that it could save up to a billion dollars on deferred or what they call avoidance investment in, in new sites just because of the uh, decommissioning process. So uh, a lot going on with T-Mobile. It's one of the, the premier companies uh, that we continue to watch. It's uh, going through a, a significant uh, growth phase and impacting the industry. It did raise its capital spending um, guidance for the year to 12.1 to 12.3 billion for full year 2021. And it expects to then taper out to about a nine to 10 billion a year run rate for the next three to four years. So uh, we'll continue to watch these developments, Leslie. All right. Thank you, John. Jim, let's wrap it up with OSHA's announcement. Yeah, it wouldn't be a full news week without good old COVID news. Uh, you're going on for a year and a half now, but, uh, that's the world we're living now. And uh, Thursday, OSHA announced a temporary emergency temporary standard to protect uh, 84 million workers from the spread of coronavirus on the job. Um, under this standard, uh, the covered employees must develop, implement, and enforce a mandatory COVID-19 vaccination policy unless they adopt a policy 
requiring employees to choose to either be vaccinated or undergo regular COVID-19 testing or wear a face mask covering at work. And this is the same mandate that our friends at Nate earlier this week had uh, said that they requested a public comment period on the proposed vaccine mandate uh, to kind of you know step back and evaluate it uh, because of the impact it might have on uh, smaller operators. Now, this uh, mandate covers employers with 100 or more employees, uh, either a firm or company-wide, and provides options for compliance. And rather than go into full details on, on all the, the points, and it's, it's in our story on uh, that came out on Friday, is that the ETS, the Emergency Temporary Standard, requires employees to, and again, this is, this is just a, a quick brief soundbite on these, A, determine the vaccination status of each employee, uh, B, require employees to provide prompt notice when they test positive for COVID or receive a COVID-19 diagnosis. C, ensure each worker who is not vaccinated is tested for COVID-19 at least weekly. D, ensure that in most circumstances, each employee who has not been fully vaccinated wears a face covering when indoors or when occupying a vehicle with another person for work purposes. So you can get all the details uh, on our uh, Friday story about OSHA or uh, dive into the OSHA site itself and, and really get into the, into the weeds with it. Thank you, Jim. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.